0: episode of the Trainer Feed. I'm one of your hosts, Jacques DeLegere. With me our host, David Bravo. Hello. And Angel Sanchez. Yo. How are we all feeling today?
1: Doing well. Yeah, chilling.
2: Chilling like a villain. Just had a turkey sandwich. My belly's happy. (laughs) Shout out Orwashers.
0: Washers (laughs) -washers is pretty banging on fire. It is fire.
1: Angel, Angel, did you eat anything recently? Uh, Did I eat anything? yeah i had time. a sandwich as well also sandwich.
2: also shout out topo chico
0: hopefully maybe you know this is
1: fire it's so good
0: let's go <laughs> um all right so you guys sandwiched in i didn't get sandwiched but we're all good today we're excited to bring on actually what ends up being our first professional athlete onto the podcast jared newman is a professional cross in the pll with the chaos lc and it's someone that I've connected through the Rome community. Um, I'm really excited to have this guy on, get a better insight as to how athletes are walking out. They're at a higher level. How COVID has had that implied challenges and things of that nature. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Jared, what's going on, man?
3: How's it going, guys? Hey, what's hey, up? Hey, how's it
0: going? How you doing? Not Pleasure bad. to meet you.
3: Not bad at all.
0: So Jared, I had the pleasure of talking to you the other day, but these are my co-hosts Angel and David. Uh, they're excited to meet you, to pick your brain. Uh, David's got a little bit of lacrosse experience. He's the gentleman I mentioned about. And let's start off, you know, for our listeners who, who may not be familiar with your history, or your path. Tell us a bit about your journey in becoming a professional lacrosse player.
3: Yeah, sure. Sure. Um... My journey was not typical. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I grew up playing and being sort of a three-sport athlete. I played baseball, basketball, and football, which is sort of the three sports I think most kids grow up playing. Um, lacrosse was not really popular where I grew up, you could say. And then uh, my senior year, coming off of, uh, coming off of a knee injury for my junior year, I really had nothing to do in the spring and a couple of buddies convinced me to go out for the lacrosse team. It was either that or I was going to run track. Um, decided to just say, why not? Let's try something new. So I went out uh, and tried out for the lacrosse team, ended up making it. And um, I was already planning on going to prep school the following year anyway to sort of get some of those basketball scholarships back. And, you know, ended up really liking the sport, ended up really enjoying it. And then my lacrosse coach at the time was uh, was a former pro player, and he actually really convinced me to try to play at the prep school level and maybe the college level. Um, so I attended a, a postgraduate school up in Maine, um, and I played lacrosse in the fall and spring, basketball in the winter, and uh, just sort of kept growing my passion for the game and then ended up with multiple offers to play at multiple Division one schools, and ultimately ended up deciding on Providence College. And then from there, sort of the rest is history. Graduated Providence, went on to play in the MLL, and then currently play in the PLL.
0: And the PLL, you joined 2019, I want to say? Yeah, so
3: 2019 was the inaugural season for the PLL, a brand new league that was formed by the Rabel brothers, uh, Paul and Mike Rabel. Um, they did a great job. They really tried to make it player forward um, and player owned. So, we, you know, we feel like we have a say for once. Um, and it's just been, you know, head and shoulders above what the previous league was doing.
0: That's something I want to piggyback off in terms of questions. So, if you had the experience of the prior to the PLL, and now you're seeing it's more, you get a better, you get more of an input, more of a say, you'll heard more. Tell us a bit more about that.
3: Yeah. So, um, one of the, one of the bonuses, I guess, to the new league when it was founded was that the players, the, the saying or motto for the league is for the players by the players. Um, and actually when they created the league, they gave every player who played in a game for each game you played in, they gave them equity shares in the company. Um, so you all have an equity share in the league based on how many games you played in. Um, they also provided full benefits. So they, you know, they provided, you know, medical dental vision um, which is something no other league had done prior to that um, they offered shares like I mentioned and then they really tried to build the schedule and sort of the experience around the players um, you know they take care of travel which is very first class and well done I mean they provide meals in every hotel they provide snacks they make sure you're hydrated they bring training staff to every game which is above and beyond just your trainers um, they have doctors there they have physical therapists there they have you know, they offer weight room activities if you need them. They offer, you know, rehabilitation services if you need them. Um, so they've just really taken it to sort of the professional standard. I don't think it was ever at before.
0: That's – so is that to say that uh, now that you – now that you have these almost spoil almost spoiled compared to what you were prior, do you think – In uh, remind me the name of the other league you said was called the uh, – Major
3: League Lacrosse. So it was the MLL. So,
0: The MLL, and the PLL. So is there a lot of uh, transfer over from the MLL to the PLL? Yeah, so actually
3: this past season, the PLL absorbed the MLL. So they acquired them in an acquisition um, this past list last season. So a lot of the players came over. Um, But the original decision when, you know, Paul and Mike were starting the league was sort of you had a decision to either stay in the MLL and, or if you were invited, you had the position to go and join, take a risk and join the premier lacrosse league. Um, and obviously they did their best to, you know, take the best 160 or 180 players at the time in the world and try to bring them over, um, which everyone naturally came over based on what was sort of promised. Um, and then this past year they absorbed the MLL. So now there's only one professional outdoor league.
0: That's phenomenal, man. Uh Wow, that, that turned out well. That's a risk. You don't know how those risks are gonna pan out. And speaking of risks, how is how I want to say during the summer of 2020, there was you guys were on NBC sports. How tell us a bit about how playing in the COVID era has has been, its challenges, its modifications. Because I know that's not easy. We've seen on TV in the sports we follow.
3: Um yeah, I mean 2020 was. It was a brutal year for everyone, I'd say. Um, in terms of sort of the toughest challenge was training, right? I mean, a lot of places I know, especially for I have a lot of Canadian teammates on my team. Um, gyms were completely closed down, um, so they could not do any sort of physical activity unless it was at their home. Um,
0: With bands, body weight, yeah.
3: I struggled. I mean, everyone struggled, but the biggest part or the biggest loss, leader. Um, for all of us, I think was competition. Right, there was no more pickup games. There was no more let's go practice outside. Right, there was no more you know summer leagues or anything else you could go sort of do to keep yourself busy and sort of playing. And I think that's really where, in any professional sport, a lot of these guys develop their skill set is all in the off season. I mean, if you look at like the NBA, right, they have the NBA summer league and the Drew League, and you know the best players in the world are working out every day, practicing their craft, and then showing it off in live competition, which really shows, you know, your growth and shows if the work you've been putting in is paying off. Um, so not having any off-season league was, was really tough. Not being able to play anywhere, not being able to practice with teammates was tough. You know, a lot of my Canadian teammates couldn't work out at all. Um, I know my gym was very limited. You know, you had to schedule a time, and if you didn't get that time or it didn't fit your schedule, you just, you know, you couldn't go to the gym that day. Uh, it was really tough. And then, Eventually, you know, Paul and Mike decided to make the executive decision to have a bubble, whereas a lot of the smaller professional sports leagues just canceled their season altogether. Um, So I was really grateful to them for sort of putting that together. But we had a bubble out in Utah um, that was, you know, very demanding on the body after not being able to train and prepare how typically you normally would be able to for a season. Um, Going out there and, you know, having a a miniature week-long training camp with your teammates where you're going two-a-days and then going into you know what they call the regular season at the bubble with a game every other day, uh, it was definitely a huge toll on the body uh, and mind just because it was so much sort of thrown at you so fast with what I would say is a much less level of preparation than normal. Um, so it was, it was very difficult to sort of handle. Um, but I thought we put on a good show. I thought we did a good job we ended up losing in the championship to the whip snakes uh, in the bubble, but we ended up revenging that sort of loss this year by beating them in the championship. So um, I'll blame that on the, the lack of preparation for the bubble. As long as you
0: got that revenge win, there you go. That's what counts. (laughs) Uh,
1: Tell us a little bit about how um, you had to balance some of the stressors between like sports, personal life and everything else outside of that and professional life. Um, maybe not so much about being in the bubble and then out of it, but just like in your career, like, how have you found that balance, whether, you know, from a student level, all the way to the professional level?
3: Yeah. I mean, I could say, you know, going in professional life now, I think, I think college and sort of being that student athlete probably prepared me for it the most. Um, You know, at at PC, I, I was coached by Chris Gabrielli who was the former Duke defensive coach uh, when they won their multiple national championships. Um, He's a very blue collar, sort of, you know, grinded out, hard work sort of coach. He expects a lot of you, but, you know, he knows if you put in the work, you can get it. And I think sort of having him as my coach at PC kind of prepped me for professional life because you know, a lot a lot of teams when I was when I was in college were moving their practices in the offseason to the afternoons and they were finding times to fit it in. And, you know, coach didn't believe in that. Um, you know, he made us get up early. We had, you know, 530 a.m. practice in the offseason. So all the fall, we had 530 a.m. practice um you know prepared us for the day he always he always had the same saying he's like you know you guys do more by 8am than most college kids do the entire day um you know by 8am we would have already gone in practiced lifted and then had treatment and then we'd be heading to the dining hall and or our first class right after that so you know his statement was true you know we got more done by 8am than most college kids probably did all day waking up at 11 and then going to grab a breakfast or something um, So that sort of prepared me for professional life outside of lacrosse. Um, You know, I do, I do still hold a normal day job. And I think that that sort of schedule and that, you know, just sort of, this is what I do. I'm going to get up and grind it out Has has prepared me well. You know, I, my gym sessions are every morning still, I go to the gym, you know, six days a week at 5. AM the weekends are where I sort of get my agility and or skill work in. Uh and I go through the workday from, you know, 7 30, 8 o'clock to 5 30, o'clock every day. Um, you know, I try to make sure I get my sleep and my rest so I can I can keep up with that. And then obviously nutrition is key. Um, not as key for me right now, I'll admit, with it sort of being bulking season in the winter. Um, not exactly paying attention to what I eat necessarily, but just sort of making sure I hit that calorie mark. Um So, but in the summer, I mean, like nutrition is key, especially with, you know, still holding a day job and then getting ready for training camp practices and games on the weekends. You know, I have to essentially get my work day in in four days because, you know, Friday through Sunday or Friday through Monday, I'm traveling. Um, So, you know, you have to be prepared and willing to put in the work, but working 10, 12 hour days, Monday through Thursday is if that's what I got to do that allows me to keep playing. That's what I'll do.
0: That's brutal.
1: Yeah, that's brutal, man. I was going to say, I was listening to the podcast that you did with Paul, and you were talking about like uh, how the work ethic would really separate you from the pack, um, and you spoke a little bit about your mom and how she played a role in that. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because it's not only uh, the school and that sort of situation where you're just kind of like, uh, you do have the coach there kind of setting everything, and you got the regimen, but then also your background. Can you talk a little bit about like how uh, she has played an impact and how your work ethic oh, has yeah.
3: developed? Absolutely. I mean, my mom's like my sort of role model, um, in terms of like hard work. I mean, she sort of sets the expectation. I mean, she raised a lot of kids under one roof. She took kids in, she did whatever she could to sort of make us feel like we always had whatever we needed. Um, you know, we're no dummies. We always knew we, we were less fortunate, but she obviously never made it seem or feel that way because she always made sure no matter what we had, what we needed. Um, you know, I watched her work multiple jobs. I watched her work in the construction and you know, remodeling industry of homes and you know, concrete, drywall, asphalt, you know, roofs. She's done it all. Um, and I watched her bartend at nights and work two, three jobs. You know, I've seen I've seen her do everything. So sort of that installation of hard work is just sort of in me because she was always nonstop, right? And then no matter what. And you can imagine after working a 14, 15 hour a day, you're probably pretty exhausted, but then she'd still make time to make her kids games. Um, so she'd always be there. She'd be the biggest fan and the biggest critic, but um, she would be there and she had no problem telling you how it was. If you stuck that day, she'd tell you. And if you were great that day, she'd tell you. Um, she'd always tell you what you needed to work on or what she thought you need to get better. Even sort of not knowing the sport of lacrosse she grew up in sort of a football household um, and then I sort of made her a basketball fan Um, not knowing the sport of lacrosse she you know doesn't know the technical ins and outs or sort of the skill work but I can tell you to this day I'll still get phone calls after games that she'll watch an NBC and she'll be like you know in the second quarter why weren't you running at a full sprint why were you jogging and I'll be like so Ma,
2: I was tired. Come I get, on, I get tired at a
3: certain point. Like <laughs> I'm not a machine, but to her, that's like unacceptable. So although she still might not know the ins and outs and the skill points of the sport, she'll, you know, if, if I'm doing something that she doesn't think is to her standard or what she thinks my ability is, I'll get a phone call and I'll hear it for the first 20 minutes. And then it'll be like, okay, good game. Move on to the next one. Like this one doesn't matter now. <laughs> So, Slice
0: a humble pie. Eh? She's sort of Ooh. been
3: my rock there in terms of like pushing me to make sure I'm, I'm always, there's never a, a dull moment when she calls. That's always like, you know, game ends. And at some point it's like, you're just waiting for it. It's like, there's going to be some sort of criticism in there somewhere, but you know, it's, it's warranted if, if, if she sees it, it's warranted. So, you know, at some point I'll know I was lacking and she'll make sure I know about it.
1: Listen, you always need that rock and it's good to have it. Uh, you know, sure. Your humility always checked as you continue to grow, right? It's in anything, I think it's always good to have that and have people around that uh, around you that can help with that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your coaches. Um, how was your experience working with various coaches during your career? And was there one in particular that stuck out to you, whether it was S&C coach or somebody who just gave you the opportunity to move in this direction? Um,
3: yeah, I mean, I've been... Um... I think sort of mentorship and coaching is very, very important in anything you do in life, whether it's you know sports, business, um, content, school, whatever you do. Having sort of a person you can look up to or admire to is is super important. Um, you need someone who has done it, and whether it's the way you're going to do it or not, at least they can give you that sort of guidance as to how they did it. Um, I think obviously there's a million ways to sort of do everything, but, and there's no right or wrong way, but I think just having someone to help you there that's done it and been through it is is huge. So I think coaching and mentorship is, you know, number one, I've been very, very lucky and fortunate. Uh, You know, I've sort of have five or six coaches I always kind of acknowledge and think back to, and they're all very different. Um, My high school basketball coach, Ray Harp, was the type of coach that would never yell and or raise his voice and never get mad But he was very, you know, it was almost more of a disappointed look if you were doing something wrong, never yelled, never got upset, never lost his temper, never lost his cool. But he had a very high standard and very high expectation. And, you know, I I appreciated that. My AAU basketball coach was very different. He screamed all the time, nonstop. But his message was, don't listen to the way I say it. Listen to what I'm saying. Right. So very different coaching styles from an early age. Uh, Matt Striebel was my first lacrosse coach. He's a, you know, 14 year MLL pro. He's in the lacrosse hall of fame. Uh, he's the one who put a stick in my hand. He's you know coached me along the way. He's given me tips and pointers. He's helped me out in life and lacrosse. Um, I owe a lot to him for that. You know, I mean, I never thought I'd be where I'm at with the sport of lacrosse or it'd take me to see the parts of the world that I've seen by playing it. Uh, and he's been a huge mentor along the way. So he, again, was, was another great coach and mentor that I had. Coach Gabrielli at Providence was a very stern, strict blue collar coach. He expected a lot of you, but he only expected what he thought you could handle. Um, he never tried to give you more. But again, he always called you on your BS and he always made sure you were, you know, in line doing what you wanted. And if you wanted to hear it or not, he was going to tell you. He's, he'll say it, you know, to his core, he is brutally truthful whether you want to hear it or not, that's, you're going to get the truth. Uh, so I appreciate that. And he has been a great coach and sort of friend to me to this day. We still hang out. We'll go to games. We went to a couple of Patriots games this, this summer and fall. Um, so I'm still very close with him as well. And then currently in the professional league, I mean, Andy towers is my current coach. He is a large, large personality. Uh, he's a good friend and he's definitely a, he's definitely a player's coach. Uh, you know He likes to listen to his players, which is different from some of my other coaches. Most coaches have their way or the highway. He likes to listen and understand his players because although he probably is the smartest guy in the room, he understands that there's something he can learn regardless from us, right? Because we're out there doing it, we're executing it, and he'll give us schemes, but he still likes to hear our feedback and input and tweak things. So, I've been very, very fortunate with a wide variety of coaches in terms of coaching style, leadership style, and mentorship style. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without any of them.
2: Hey, Matt, I have a question. Um, you mentioned earlier about the way, you know, the absorption of the MLO into the uh, Premier Lacrosse League right now. Um, and you still have a, you know, a day job. I wanted to see how is it that you're able to absorb I guess, all of the um, tactics, all the strategies, you know, while you go to practice is do you guys work through zoom meetings with all the players? And then right before you go and meet on the weekends. And also do you all meet in, uh, since you're traveling, do you all meet in a single field, single stadium in order to go through all of the, all of the workouts and all the plays?
3: Yeah. So I think what's key for us in, in our league in general is we have a three week long training camp where uh-huh. you bring basically you're all your guys. Right. And everyone that's there is competing for a roster spot. But at the end of the day, only uh, 21 guys are going to make the roster spot. One of them is a backup goalie, one of them is a faceoff guy. So really, you only have 19 guys that are going to be actively playing on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you bring everyone. So you're bringing, you know, 30 guys to training camp. Those 30 guys are spending three weeks with you, two practices a day. In, you know, film meetings, film review, game plans, they're learning plays, studies, defenses, offenses, schemes, schematics, they're learning, you know, each other, they're learning how to play and feed off each other. And they're learning sort of chemistry with your teammates who they like to play with who they don't. Um, And that's sort of where your basic sort of principles are set and founded is, is in that training camp. And then from there, each week, right, there will be a weekly offensive and defensive zoom meeting at some point throughout the week. And then there will be a team Zoom meeting at some point throughout the week at night, usually around eight or nine o'clock for a half an hour to an hour. So the offense talks about, you know, the week before and the offense and defense in the separate meetings, they talk about the week before, what worked, what didn't work. And they talk about the upcoming week. And then in the team meeting, we have a team Zoom meeting where we sort of talk about nothing but the upcoming week, the upcoming game plan strategy, what offense we're gonna run, what defense we're gonna run. We all usually arrive on Friday at the hotel, we have some sort of practice at some point, and then Saturday morning we have a walkthrough, and then Saturday night we play.
2: That's awesome! Wow, I mean,
3: it's, it's um, a and, schedule, but it's it it works.
2: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you doing your workouts in the mornings, right before work, right before your regular job. How have your workouts been? I mean, you're a defensive player. Has it been, you know, now that you're saying you're bulking? I mean, are you are you getting are you lifting heavier? Are you getting stronger? I mean, I remember when I used to play in high school, I, I mean, no one. I went to high school in the South Bronx and I remember they were, you know, introducing lacrosse in my last couple of years, they would get all the football guys in and especially doing the cleans, power clean snatches, and then just lifting heavy benching like crazy. No, no, no care in the world for your shoulders. Um, but you know, it's just, it's tough. I mean, how, how would you say your workouts now are different from either college high school in terms of safety?
3: Yeah. Um, I'd say now probably more than college I'll do. I mean, currently I'm in, I'm in, like I said, a bulking phase where I'm trying to put on mass and size. So it's a little bit more of what you would probably call a meathead workout mm-hmm. but coming up at the end of March. I'll start getting back into more of my athletic lifts in my explosion. But more than ever now, I'm doing a lot more injury prevention stuff than I probably was in college. Um, yeah. The injury prevention stuff was sort of built into our, our team lifts in college, which is, was great. But I'd say now on my own, I'm probably doing more of that than ever. Uh, and, you know, the, the workouts obviously vary. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's easy to get up at 5 a.m. every day because it's not. Uh, it's not easy when, you know, sometimes you're going to bed after Zoom meetings and calls and work at, you know, midnight one o'clock but you know you just do it you just got to get out of bed and just say this is sort of what i do so i'm not going to say that every workout is great and fantastic would it be easier if i went later in the day yeah probably i'd probably have more energy but you know some days i have better workouts than others and some days i push through um like i said right now is more of a bulking phase but coming soon will be i'll get back to those hang cleans those explosions sort of you know a lot of a lot of single leg sort of mobility stuff. I'll do a lot more stretching. Yoga will start in early April. I'll start doing yoga again. Uh, So a lot more injury prevention stuff than I probably did in college, which is on purpose because I I don't have the same sort of schedule I had in college where every day I could lift whatever time in the day I wanted. And if I wanted to do extra stuff, I had, you know, facilities dedicated to me staying healthy. I I don't have that anymore. So I have to sort of build that into my own.
2: Do you guys do you guys work with uh individual like uh athletic coaches like on one on one here and there or is it just all on a piece of paper that you have to follow?
3: Um, nothing we have to follow, so it's completely up to you. Okay, it's completely up to your own. You can build your own workouts and stuff like that. Uh, they do offer, you know, our physical therapists and some of our other like support staff for the league. You can always reach out to them and ask them for anything they want. Um, they do put a conditioning package together. usually comes out like two two and a half months before training camp yeah um again up to you if you follow or not it's kind of it's kind of unique in that everything you're going to do is on your own until you sort of get there unless you live with some of your teammates or close enough to some of your teammates uh so it's it's just it's a little unique in that sense
2: that's awesome
1: Is, is that on a team basis or is that on a league basis like the physical therapist and things like that There is one dedicated to
3: each team, as well as there's uh, there's a trainer dedicated to each team, but there's only head doctors assigned to the league. Um, So you can reach out individually if you'd like.
1: That's awesome. I've heard um, like rumors surrounding other leagues and other sports trying to uh, make it more consistent because sometimes the messaging can be different between like teams, even though they all have athletes that play similar. Positions and then they're all prone to like similar injuries and they all have to perform at a similar level. Um, So I think that it's good that you have kind of like somebody to go to if you want to from a league's you know standpoint. That probably speaks to the PLL and them having that players first mentality.
3: Yeah, I mean after so I remember when the bubble was coming up, um, one of the one of the big emails we got from our physical therapists and some of our doctors was um, we got a couple like lengthy articles about how after the NBA lockout ended, there was a higher number of injuries than ever. Most of them coming in like the Achilles and or calf and quad area because they weren't ready to be exploding like that on a normal basis. A lot of them were taking so much time off because the lockout that they just weren't, they weren't in their normal physical condition. And then they tried to go out and play like they had their their last three, four seasons. So Um, we got a lot of articles about this stuff leading up to it. And then we actually got, like a program league they sent out again, it was up to you if you want to follow up, but they sent it out to make sure you're strengthening all those muscles before going full speed and trying stuff at hundred percent.
0: That's phenomenal. They have that in place for you guys to, you know, and then the onus is on you if you carry it out. And, but if I dug a little deeper and you did mention just previously about now exercises a bit more about injury prevention than when you're at college time being one thing, but if you had, if you were to think about certain movements, exercises that helped you excel in your game and playing D and just giving you an edge, what would you, what comes to mind in particular movements, patterns?
3: Sleds. Um, yeah. You know, I do a lot. I didn't call it like, I do them now still, but a lot of um, backward sled pulls. I do a lot of those um, slight sleds for cardio, just going nonstop till failure. I mean, those things will kill you a lot of single leg and knee stability stuff. I do tons of that. Um, whether it's, you know, single leg lunges, I make sure, you know, go light. There's no reason to try to kill yourself and go heavy. I use a lot of bands. Yeah. Um, Good. And then something I've really tried to focus on lately is hip mobility. Um, sort of, you know, activating your glutes and firing your hips and being open. That's something I've spent a lot of time on because I notice in season with the amount of travel, And, you know, you're on a plane, you're practicing, you're playing a game, then you're on a plane again. If you're someone like sitting
0: for hours on a Monday
3: morning, that like sitting, standing, sitting, standing, then running and exploding and, you know, going nonstop for two and a half hours and then, you know, shower, get to the plane. It's, it's, it's a lot and it wears on you and you tighten up really quickly. Um, So that's something I've really tried to focus on lately.
0: It's interesting. You say that I feel when I read up about Tom Brady, for example, I know he just retired, but at the age of 44, what was different, what he was doing. And I think he um, mentioned similar to what you were pointing out now was less, re- less resistance training in incorporating weights, more about the bands. And then, is this is something that you think about if you were to tell yourself, you know, when you just started college and, and you were in the rate right room, is this something you think you would tell yourself, you know, don't worry too much about the cleans, worry about the simple stuff?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I think our our we had we were graced with a great lifting coach. Um, you know, I think a lot of kids when they've going to college are under the impression like you need to be the biggest and strongest, um, which is just it's just totally not true. One of my stated,
0: it's stated, th- right?
3: Yeah, one of my favorite lines from college, right? Like, I mean, he always with my strength coach would always say, "Speed kills." Right? It doesn't matter how big and strong you are, speed kills. Um, but like one of my favorite lines ever was, you know, you you get. I think I was a junior that year you get freshmen in right every year who are young kids who probably don't really know how to lift. And all they think about is I need to be the strongest kid in the weight room. And when they think about that, they think about like, I need to have the biggest bench press and I need to be able to curl the most. And I need to be able to shoulder press the most. And it's like, those are all you know movements that realistically have nothing to do with, the sport of lacrosse.
0: Um, oh, Incorporate it, right? You doesn't doesn't directly translate to anything.
3: It doesn't. So there it has really nothing to do with that. And I remember we had a we had a freshman come in. Yes, he was he was a strong kid. He was a fit kid for sure. But his best workouts were bench press and and something else. And I remember he was he was struggling, right? He wasn't he had a really poor squat and he had really poor flexibility because he was so stiff. And he, it was translating because so you're getting up at 5 a.m. to practice, and if you're not. If you don't have ample time to stretch, you're not going to be able to perform. You're going to be very stiff like a board, not to mention when you're practicing in, you know, December and February. In yeah.
2: March.
3: and Now it's cold outside too, like in New England, like, you know, you're freezing. So it doesn't help, but I remember we were in a weight, weight room session one day and everyone was crowding around this kid as he benches. As a freshman, he was benching 315, which is, it's impressive. It's an impressive feat without a doubt, right? Yeah. Benching 315 for three to five reps as a freshman. That's an impressive impressive feat for sure just might not be applicable to our sport and if you can picture it our our strength coach uh, coach rick is probably about you know five seven guy from Southie with a real thick accent he's got a real thick boston accent and uh, there's a bunch of kids like hyping this kid up to bench 315 and him excited which is all great for camaraderie but he walks over and he just looks at him and he goes yeah have fun playing lacrosse from your back and he walked away. Exactly.
2: That's I so. Was that's like, so. I was like, that's
3: that's the best awesome. Ever
0: heard? Hey, just drop the mic right there. I mean, that's yeah, the biggest thing,
3: thing too, right? He could have cared less if the kid benched three fifteen. He just walked away. Yeah. I mean, it,
2: it's not like I mean in football they have like in the combine you're benching two twenty five for reps, right? I mean, is, yeah. that's is that still
0: one of the things now? Yeah, it yep. is. But yeah. I mean, it, what carryover does that have? If you're a lineman theoretically the lineman right but no but you never And the same for any sport such as as athletic as lacrosse is you're never in a static position if you're back up against the back on a bench right like you'll never like if that was the same lacrosse if um when someone had like whether it's an overhead press right okay you're assuming or even like if someone was trying to suggest that cable flies had some carryover well yeah but you never have a symmetrical position right it's always a always. a core position that's the thing too right position. like uh,
2: you're checking somebody coming into the crease it's like okay 315 bench press great but yeah. you're standing up you're not you're it's not really like on the floor
3: it's funny because you mentioned the the combine it's it's, it's funny because i was i was watching like, one of my favorite movies is the blind side but i was watching it, like
0: oh i watched it recently yeah
3: if you listen to it at the end when sandra bullock's talking right she's like one of the things they look for in in the best d tackles or o tackles are like big thick thighs thick legs in the hip mobility to stay low and move because like mm. realistically that's where your power is going to come from is they're not going to be just flat just like pushing out against that alignment no they're going to be like exploding up into them trying to get them under their pads And it's like they don't mention chest or arms or bench press once nothing right that's not what and they're
1: it, looking
0: for and it's funny and this is a bit of a rabbit hole but i don't know if you're familiar with the the tool the viper the, like, the workout tube like I said, oh, the, yeah, the yeah. handles. Yep. So, I will never forget when uh, first time I heard this guy speak, Michel D'Alco. He's and he's from Canada. and He spoke about the the hockey kids who were going to the combine. Those who were who grew up in I don't know Western Canada or British Columbia, wherever, in like in the, in the suburbs. Farm I mean, boys, no, no, farm boys. They were stronger than the guys who were regularly working out of the gym because the yeah. guy lifting hay bales were just functionally stronger. You know, they, like you said, the kid could be doing things three. Functional muscle, three. Yeah. yeah, you just, it doesn't, it didn't translate. Whereas if you're doing carries and I know I listened to a podcast recently with a strength expert, Dan John, and he spoke about the best exercise just being carries and that translates yeah. to pretty much anything and everything, right? So it's, so it's just super refreshing to hear, even here in this sport, which I've believed it to be in many sports, the case where, if it's not direct transferable to the sport, like it's good. It's, it's conditioning. The body's getting a walkout in, but it's not giving you, is it necessarily giving you the edge? And it's just, no,
3: especially, especially for a sport too, that's, you know, been nicknamed the fastest sport on two feet. Right. It's, right. You know, it's almost is some there, that, that static stuff is just non yeah. transferable.
2: Is there some sort of uh combine for the, for the PLO uh, anything in terms of, you know, getting people in? Or no, like before the draft?
3: it just comes out of the college draft. So really your, your performance in college, and then you get drafted to a team and then sort of your ability to make a team or a roster comes in training camp.
2: Okay. Are any of the, are any of the teams based on cities? I mean, I, no. Like, no. So how, no, how do yeah. you form so your rivalry so far?
3: So it's currently it's the way they, they did it for this league. So the MLO was city based and uh-huh. what they to do for this league was travel based model, like golf or tennis, which builds, they've realized builds a lot more excitement around a game because there's not another one in that area for a year, right? Okay. Mm. Um, so the fan turnout has been astronomical compared to what the MLO was, where you had, a, you know, six to eight games in your home arena. Then, you know, fans would, oh, I can't make it this time. It's okay. I'll get to the next one. Now it's like you have one chance there. And it's sort of like a mini final four, right? If you get a ticket, you get to go see four games. Uh, boom. So you either go see the Friday games. Which there's two games Friday night, or you go see the Saturday games. There's two games Saturday, and the turnout's been great. The fans have been awesome. Um,
2: Any in New York yet?
3: It's a little yeah. We played at Red Bull in 2019 a couple of times. Okay, um, Red
2: Bull Arena,
0: nice. It's been,
3: it's been great. Um, actually, the game that I played in at Red Bull Arena was the most televised lacrosse game ever.
0: Get out, oh, shit.
3: nice. So it went from it went the the open for tennis. And then we played and then the Bruin Stanley Cup game. And I think there is like millions and millions of viewers for that. So it's the most televised game ever. Wow. What? Uh, which, was, which was pretty cool.
2: I'm sure that's building a demographic for the sport too. I mean, I know there was a, it was a big issue in, in, a, in the past, not being as televised only on like what ESPN2. I mean, NBC
3: partnership has been great. Peacock sales have been through the roof. I mean, it's, it's, it's come a long way and the broadcast is exceptional. And it's funny because you actually see some other professional sports leagues taking stuff that we created in our broadcast build out like the under the hell helmet in game interviews with players like no one else for us, Like the live updates where like you can talk to a player right after a play
0: happened,
3: which is which is pretty cool.
0: That's, That's an awesome. I haven't seen that. We definitely hope you come. Do you, is there any plans on the, this the league coming back for a weekend to New York? Do you know about that? Is I hope
3: it... so. I mean, usually there's always sort of a Foxborough and or New York game. So in 2019 it was at Red Bull and then this past season it was in Long Island at Hofstra. Um, Hofstra, but yeah. there's right. yeah. usually a Boston and or New York stop on the tour. Um, Hopefully in, in April that, that schedule will come out and everyone will sort of know where the games are. Yeah, we'll be out there, Chaos fans. For sure.
0: Yeah, I we got to, that's what I say. We got to, we got to, we got to support this, man. So if the, if the schedule comes out in April, the season, the, the, it would start when then? Uh, due, the, first-
3: June, the first weekend in June, June, like that first weekend in June is the start of the season.
0: And then it goes on until.
3: And then if you go to play the championship, the middle of September.
0: Okay. So we're going to have our fingers crossed you come you come to the New York area. That would be, that'd be yeah. dope. Because I know New York, sure. Long Island used to have the Long Island Lizards, right? That was the MLL they team? They used to. Yes. Yep. That's wow. right. That makes sense. I don't know if you guys want any any, any further questions or.
1: I want to respect this time because I could just keep going down. Like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of stuff. I listened to the, the other podcast. There was a lot of talking points. You know, I learned a lot because I, I'm not as well versed in lacrosse as these guys are. So I had to like study it a little bit, watch some videos and listen to some stuff in order to get a feel for it. So it's pretty cool. I think that the biggest takeaway from my perspective is how the PLL has kind of like taken a risk and then had like some huge success. And you know, you guys are kind of like on the frontier of this thing. And I'm sure, like I said before, other leagues are looking, other sports are looking to see how this goes. And then hopefully you can adopt a more player centric um, sort of thing around your sport. You know, you'll, you guys are going to be remembered for a long time. So that's pretty dope. Yeah, that's, it's definitely something exciting to be a part of. And then, you know,
3: everyone's obviously looking forward to after the tour based model, you know, their goal is to eventually find cities. So that's, you know, that's another exciting opportunity that's coming, you know, hopefully the next two, three years, they pick cities for teams and That'd be another exciting, exciting thing to be a part wow. of, sort of a city's first franchise, which most, almost no athletes ever get the chance to sort of be a part of that. Um, like I know my, one of my good friends, you know, at Providence college is, is a huge hockey school. Um, the hockey program is always in the top 10 in the country. When I was in college, they actually won the national championship, but one of my good friends from college is Brandon Tanev, who's an NHL
0: oh, oh, Wait, that's one of your friends? Yeah, he actually used in my, Turbo? he used to live in my my house. Yeah, his um, name's Turbo, right? What was that? His nickname's Turbo. Oh
3: yeah, he was just as fast in college. Yeah,
0: Jesus, uh, this, kid, this kid this kid took a break from playing hockey for four years or something, and then he started to play again. And he's like, he he's like. He's a hard guy to play against as well. Another know the biggest, but like super, super, super feisty, fast right?
3: And his, his, it helps that his brother's the defenseman for the Canucks. So proud, proud yeah. over there, you know, two kids in the NHL. That's um,
0: dope. That's so cool. And
3: have had the opportunity to, you know, go over to the Kraken. And yeah, he's
0: in Seattle now, right?
3: Franchise ever. And, you know, he assisted the first goal ever in
0: Kraken history. That's fire. But- I know he's out of an injury right now, though, right? Yeah, most people will
3: never be able to say that though. So I think uh, you know there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the sport, and and I'm just looking forward to it. Do you
2: have any, any goals man. planned in the next games? Uh, defensive players usually don't get the, the shining light on you know scoring.
3: Well, I've done a I've done a fair share of that though. I have quite a bit of press around scoring. So nice, let's go. I mean, I just want to I just want to uh, I just want to win it again, just mm-hmm. because you know the whip snakes won the first two. They beat us in one. We just beat them in one. And to win another one now would be two and two. And I'd be a little I'd be happier to know. Would you that,
2: say they're your rivals now?
3: Yeah, they I think they've always been for oh, sure. Nice.
2: Do you guys have any any people from the indoor league coming into the the PLO or interested yeah, in it?
3: My most of my team is my oh. Canadians. Most of So I have five players on my team who all live together in Buffalo and play for the Buffalo Bandits.
0: Yeah. Wow. Do they that's find box it a,
2: across, a, right? A, yeah.
3: A, box. Yeah. Do they that find any is a, issue
2: in terms of, I guess, playing? I mean, maybe they, maybe they find it easier to score. I mean, box across the goalies. Net for them. exactly net for them,
3: but, uh, but it's just, it's also a different seasons. So the only, the only negative part about that is, is they're coming off of an indoor season when they come to oh, our, right. our yeah. outdoor season. So sometimes they're banged up and they have to deal with nagging injuries because the indoor sport is, Oh, oh yeah. Is brutal. There's and they the, play as long as you don't hit him in the head. There's basically no rules. They're able to fight. Yeah, yeah, they fight. Get yeah. out, really? No, they drop go. the gloves. They, they, they go in. They just like you get hockey. a two-minute penalty and you move on.
0: That's it. Like two.
3: Oh, that. So it's so actually, so my, you... my goal, the goalie on my team, um, Blaze Reardon. He's you know one three-time goalie of the year. He's my roommate. He's one of my best friends. He plays in the in the NLL. He plays forward, so he's a scoring player. He's like. <laughs> Jackman. he plays goalie in, in outdoor but in indoor he plays forward it's like funny because i just i was watching a game the other day and he got into a fight and i'm like it's like you know chucking him no position <laughs> in any sport you know whether it's hockey <laughs> soccer or lacrosse you, you know everyone you always protect your goalie right that's what you do so, so he yeah. never has to really do anything in outdoor because he has me and three other defensemen in front of him that are like don't touch my goalie but then you go watch him play indoor, and he's fighting guys on his own because he's protecting his goalie. And it's just yeah. like, but well, he also it. probably loves, loves it too.
2: I mean, I mean, and and oh, he's like you know running around fast. Yeah. And then you know he's the goalie, and he's able, I guess, to chill a little bit. Yep. That's awesome, yep.
0: dude. That's. I want to ask one final question though. So you just you just briefly touched on on winning it and trying to make it two and two. Tell us when you won that. When you won it all, like how well does that feel like? Let's us talk about some of the emotions.
3: Oh, it was like it was it was very overwhelming um, for me because it's been it's been a long time since I've I've won a championship and I've I've come close a lot. And it almost felt like I was snake bitten for a while there. Um, You know, in college, our season ended. We we lost the Big East championship to a team that we had beat two other times prior. So that was a really tough pill to swallow Um, in outdoor in the MLL. We lost in the semifinals to a team we had beat two times prior um and then you know in the pll the first year we were the one seed we were the highest ranked seed um we ended up losing to the whip snakes in the semifinals they ended up going on to win it the year after that we ended up losing in the championship to the whip snakes we were up you know three with five minutes to play we ended up losing that game damn hurt and then to finally just like you know put the pedal down and step on their throat beat them by five was, it by was five been, down it had been a while since anything's happened and i was just like oh it was, just, it was like a weight was finally off my shoulders um because i have won you know basically every other individual award that you could win in the sport i just hadn't captured that yet and that was like something i had been waiting for for so long
2: was that the same year you got defensive player of the year or was that uh, I got uh, Defensive after.
3: Player Year 2019. And I got Fastest Shot 2019. I yeah. I won you know all the individual awards, but the award I cared about the most was the one I was like still chasing, and then finally it happened. And it was, like when it happened, I was like I was almost in shock. I was like, "Nice, what is this? Like this is how this feels? Like you're supposed to be excited right now? Like <laughs> I'm so used to walking off that field like, you know, disappointed and or upset in those final last games. Finally, it was like it was like a deep breath. It was like I I've done it. Like I. Find like I have it. Because you know, I guess in a sense, no one, you know, you can never take away someone's individual accolades. But at the same time, you're kind of can always just be remembered as that player, the individual player that was really good. But when you win a championship, right? That's that's etched in history. Like that's not going anywhere. That'll always be on that cup, that'll always be in the record books, that'll always be, you know, the first thing people look at, you know, the most important thing people look at is championships you know whenever they gauge a player or their legacy i don't care who you are i don't care if you win 20 mvps in a row why didn't you win a championship because there's there's, that about leadership on a championship team that if you can't get that done are you more worried about yourself and your individual performance in the team so it's like i finally got that that accolade that i've been waiting for
0: that makes total sense because when you look at any athlete and they can be you know the number one pick and be the sickest player have the sickest stats as you said but if they don't, it's uh. If you know the McDavid reference, you know McDavid, the Oilers. Oh yeah, is oh, this yeah. like, and he's nicknamed Mug Jesus for a reason because he is like Jesus on ice. But they they can't they they can't go far in the playoffs, right? And like, no one's doubting how talented, how fast this guy is. But as you said, you can have all the individual accolades, but no one's really going to remember. Not that no one's going to remember. But they really will for sure remember if you won the championship. And I think that's yeah. like you said, is the ultimate. You know, he had all the skill sets, and no one doubts when you come into a team, you have the skill sets. But can you turn it into the winning pedigree? Can you turn it into an actual championship? And, and I think there's
3: there's something to be said about great players; they make others around them better, right? So One hundred percent. You can do that. You should be able to win. Um, and it's like you know, same thing. Like, I mean, you you look at the comparisons. I mean, recently, of Brady retiring, and you know, LeBron's getting to the end of his career, which are mm. two greatest athletes we'll see in our lifetime. Um, you know, whenever you talk about LeBron, it's, it's LeBron and MJ, right. Mm-hmm. But everyone leaves out guys like Kareem who individually accolade wise, they have Kareem has more points, more rebounds, more block, like than all those guys. And it's not even close. Like it's not even close, but he doesn't have six rings and he didn't, he didn't do it in a flawless manner. So he's not even in the conversation, which yes. is, which is baffling, but it's true
2: kind of how we view it right still i'm still hoping brady comes back changes his mind
0: brady Brady will still play
3: brady will sign a 10-day contract with the patriots and retire a patriot hey i I don't know
0: he didn't he didn't mention the patriots in that long i think that's why
3: i think that's why i think he wants i think if you read that paragraph did he once say retire
2: that's that's what i just saying. Write it one time
0: he didn't write it
3: one time he never once said i'm retired he just said i want to thank you and he never said i'm retired
0: Oh boy. Oh man. guy guy. Have him come he back. It'll come back once. It's done. And he's going to bench Mac, Mac Jones and take the starting job again.
3: He's, he's going to take the first snap and he's going to throw a touchdown and he's going to call it.
0: That's it. Walks and up his retires retired. in the game. I'm
3: <laughs> just going to say, I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, Damn. Joe, dude, this
0: has been awesome. We, we really, I'm sure we just scratch the surface of what I want to ask you, but we want to respect your time. For anyone who'd love to find out a bit more about you, is there anywhere that they can uh, reach out to you or
3: yeah, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, I'm always on there. Jnew underscore eighty eight. I'm I'm pretty accessible. I, I respond to a lot of DMs and messages. Um, you know, if you want to read or learn some more, there's some good articles on Inside Lacrosse and US Lacrosse Magazine that sort of tell my story a little more in depth. But you know, and anything to reach out, feel free. I'm always yeah. available. Yeah,
2: it's I'll fun see to see you us a on YouTube.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'll see you, and hopefully you had a game soon. You know, decked yes. out in our chaos
3: gear, It'll be good. Love
0: it. Let's go. <laughs> Love
3: it. Awesome. All right, Dude.
2: man. Thank
0: you very thank much. Thank you pleasure so to much. You, man.
3: Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Thanks man. Have Take a good care. day.
0: Bye. That was phenomenal. Cool. man. What a guy. All
1: chill, super,
0: man. It was awesome. Super. That's so awesome. I had no idea. PLL already we take care of those guys and
2: yeah I was I thinking here, about man. that so exactly I mean they're getting those full benefits and everything like that I don't know I, I didn't get a chance to ask him but I was going to ask about you know other you know playing in the MLL them having to have basically the same thing to do they had they needed their outside jobs playing on the weekends but I, I didn't even, never asked about their benefits and stuff but I'm sure they're getting good things I remember before it, it inaugurated uh Paul Rabel on his Instagram he was just like going he's doing all these huge promotional promotional things trying to get everything up and running hammering it huge investors too i mean it's it's a big thing hopefully it keeps
1: going hopefully that'll be
0: hopefully hopefully we can get him on again like as as his training camp is finishing up and he's getting ready in june that might be an idea let's kind of see where he's at right there and that's awesome, man. I'm so I'm so buzzed. He just I think we just scratched the surface of that guy as well. I think there's yeah. so much more to it as well. But yeah, we're so glad he was able to join us for sure. Yeah, we gotta get our uh, our uh, jerseys and get going to that game, man. They'll be buzzing. You know, when you know someone, I think, as well. Um, there's that's that connection as well. And he's a demon, right? So I bet you for a he's fact a defensive he lays player. In- Big hits as well. He's a big oh, guy. Oh, he he it's so much fun. Just check to some dudes destroy out. Destroy somebody
2: in the crease. Yeah.
0: I'm buzzing. Oh, I remember
2: back when I went to lacrosse camp for about a week, it was a Nike lacrosse camp up in Fairfield university.
0: It oh, by my folks.
2: School. Yeah. It was awesome. We went and I think two days in, I think I, I broke a kid's collarbone. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> That's you your know? career, Don David. And I remember, you know, cause I remember we were playing and that he was, you know, coming in, trying to get a score, trying to score. And I just laid him out. And then the next day, I see like ice and shit all over his chest. I Wait, felt David so bad. This, David ended Colin this man's career.
1: Collarbone and Colin used to play lacrosse. Let me, yeah, find, out. Bro- Let me find out. Let
2: me find out. I felt out bad. Bro- I mean, it was like the Colin, second
0: collarbone. day of camp, and then he's like done. It's you ended yeah. his career. He's going to get a scholarship, or everything. David. like, nah. You, I, 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 don't even, I don't
2: even know who the You can fuck be he a was. lawyer
0: now. I <laughs> forgot.
2: <laughs> no, but we used to get a lot of cool people in. It was like people from Bridgeport, Connecticut, in two. And we were like, chill, super cool guys. Maybe we'll, hopefully, if I reach out to them again, maybe we'll get them on, see what they're doing now, if they're playing lacrosse still.
0: But that'd be dope, man. It was was super sick. Wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. It was dope. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. That was a great episode.
1: Catch you in the next one. Peace.
0: Peace, guys.